Hi, this is Graham Brown and welcome to the Excel Podcast. The Excel Podcast is a platform for the bigger conversations about leadership in the 2020s. Who's leading? How are they leading? And what stories do they have to share? Through the stories of leaders, we'll address the big challenges of our times from the era of AI to the Asian century to nurturing a new generation of entrepreneurs. If you're enjoying these conversations, subscribe to the podcast at xlpodcast.org. everybody welcome back to the xl podcast my name is graham brown your host for the next 35 minutes big part of leadership today is understanding how to grow a business in this increasingly complex technological environment we all have to know a bit of everything and today our subject of discussion is no different we're going to look at the business of retention they say retention is the new acquisition Now, anybody who's grown a successful business will know that the best source of new business, new revenues is old customers. And whilst we know that old customers, existing customers are profitable, often we find ourselves constantly trying to fill the fire hose with new customers. And yet maybe there's something missing there that we can understand that process better, whether you are building CX programs for existing customers, or you're looking at the upsell, monetizing, unleashing the value of your existing customer base. There's a lot to learn. And the great thing is, is there's a lot of advice out there. So to help us understand this world better, I'm joined by Ed Frame from Exemplify. Ed, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Graham. It's great. To start with, something I noticed that you posted on LinkedIn that made me chuckle about customer reference numbers. Oh, gosh, so, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? That companies invest millions, millions in all kinds of CX programs, CRM programs, customer service programs. And yet, we still seem to be in this era where companies are asking you for the customer reference number without naming names who the company <laughs> was. What's going on? Why are we still there? That seems a bit crazy, doesn't it? Given that seems to me a basic. So first of all, maybe help us understand why that's not a good idea for building a relationship with a customer, but also why we're there. Great. So it's beyond me that why we are still there at the moment. Um, essentially, there's, a, there's two things that a, a customer reference number does. The first thing is to actually remember, no one ever remembers their customer reference number, right? So hmm. if you call me up, and you ask me to repeat my customer reference number to you, you know, the, the first thing I have to do is go into my emails, search your company name, scroll through all the emails that you've sent me, all the marketing emails that you've sent me that I've never opened before to then try and find that email, which is a 16-digit a number that I'll never remember. And then I quote it back to you. And that's, you know, and then that's it for the next couple of years before we, before we need to do it again. Um, and the second thing which is really surprising is in a world where we've got CRMs such as Salesforce and HubSpot, it's not like they use a string of numbers as a unique identifier. Mm. No, they're using email addresses to be a unique identifier. So if you fill out a website form on the website and it goes into HubSpot and you do some other interaction elsewhere that goes into the same portal, it's the email address which is the unique identifier. And Graham, I don't know about you, but I have no problem remembering my own email address. Absolutely. Yeah. But I do have a problem remembering all the different customer reference numbers that yeah. I've uh, I can across. remember other people's email addresses pretty well as well. 
seems That's to be it. because it's meaningful. It's semantic, isn't it? It's got if I, if I see ed at exemplify.com.au, for example, it's much more meaningful than one, two, three, four, five, whatever. Ex- exactly that. Um, and the one thing that we all have in common that we all care about is our own first name. Um, you know, if you hmm. if you're listening to your presentation and somebody mentions your name, it's just that you're you're immediately. Um, into it. If somebody calls your name on the street, you immediately perk up. And um, there is something that's whenever we're in a world where companies are not calling us by our first names or, or mm. you know using things that are personal to us, it means that we really feel that we are treated more as a string of numbers rather than a human being. So there is also a psychological aspect of, of customer reference mm. numbers that really take away from building a meaningful relationship with with a company. Mm. It may be in part just more convenient for the programmer to build that by using, you know, a unique ID. But at the same time, there may be more interesting dynamics at play, like you talk about the psychological factor that maybe it helps people deal with people en masse without being personal, which is not necessarily the best for experience, but it may be easier to manage people. And we're not in the business of managing people, but that may help when yeah. you're dealing with customers on mass. But we'll get into that, the more of the psychology as well, hopefully mm. today, and help us understand where we need to be with that, what position, where, what place we need to be when dealing with customers as well. But I guess maybe we can start by putting this all on the table, Ed, is fans, customer advocacy, customer experience, relatively new words mm. in the in the sort of, you know, the conversations of marketing and salespeople and business generally, where does this fit in? Is this marketing? Is it sales? Is it customer experience? Is it customer service? You know what, what part that, of businesses, does it have a department? Yeah, it's a very good question. And um, actually something that I, I first started doing was, you know, when I, when I first started Exemplify, I was talking about, you know, customer experiences, customer experiences, and really depending on who I spoke to, that either had a great effect or no effect whatsoever. And so what I found it was that, you know, some people, you then had to explain what a customer experience was. Mm. Oh, it's it's the experience a customer has with your business. And you kind of run down this this rabbit hole. Um, And for some people, they they know exactly what a customer experience is. And and some people have no idea and just take a lot of these things for granted. Mm. Um, So so essentially what I I started just saying is that I, I help turn customers into repeat customers, brand advocates, and referral partners. Just to make it really, really simple to understand. It's like, okay, all those customers you get, yeah, I make sure that you they keep buying from you or that they're a part of your subscription for much longer. You know. So if I was in sales, I'm getting mixed messages now. I like the bit about more sales and more revenue, but existing customers <laughs> Are they in sales? Maybe in the more traditional companies, this might be a bit of a you know a bit of dissonance. Like, well, I don't understand where this fits in. How wh- generally where does that fit in with companies? Does it yeah, fall into the so, marketing department? I'm not sure. Yeah, so I actually feel it really sits um, really. In, we're starting to see a lot more companies have customer success personnel um, to really uh, help with you know marketing brings the leads then brings the, the sales team, close those leads. And, and now we have really customer success to, to try and um, make the experience 
fantastic for those customers that have been onboarded. Um, and it really does sit in that customer success piece, but also in the marketing piece. We have a lot more, you know, marketing teams are now a lot more equipped with, especially in the e-commerce space, to try and essentially re-nurture some of the sales that have happened before. So if you know if you've bought something from a website, um, it is really down to the marketing team to try and use automation and you know different techniques to help you buy more um, of of those particular products. Um, mm. So so I'd say it it does fit within uh, the marketing, the sales, and, and the service. But it, from what I what I'm finding, it's I, I'm dealing mostly with marketing managers and marketing directors and, and customer success leaders and CEOs. Great. I guess the people that know, know. They are the ones that understand that this cuts across probably multiple departments, doesn't it? I mean, you do, I mean, just by the way, before we get deeper into the data side, I know data is a big part of what you do. Um, you do offer a lot of content as well. So if people are interested in this, Ed's got a lot of content on your website. There's masterclasses, workshops, videos, all about the process, turning buyers into advocates and turning customers into repeat buyers as well. There's a lot of content out there. So we'll come to that. If people are sort of at that stage thinking, all right, does this speak to me? Is this what I need to focus on? There's a lot of sort of introductory content that people can go and get access to there as well. So just shouting out to those that may be interested to learn more, go and fill your boots with Ed's content. We'll put the links at the end of the show. But for those who are kind of exploring this area, maybe we can start with the data as well, because Hmm. it's interesting that we've known about the value of repeat customers and existing customers for some time. It's not new, is it? I mean, the data has been out there, but there's a lot of interesting research that keeps coming out. I mean, the HubSpots and the Salesforce is obviously publishing a lot of data about the value of customer experience, repeat customers, customer advocacy, and so on. I want to go through some of these data points, Ed, and I would like your expert opinion on what they mean and why Okay, these are important. So I'm going to throw out some data points and then just give me your, share with us your analysis of them. Um, Let's start with HubSpot. Obviously, HubSpot are one of the sort of leading lights when it comes to repeat customers and the whole sort of post-sale experience as Mm. well. Um, HubSpot Research said 55% of growing companies think it's very important to invest in customer service programs. Now, I want to ask about this one, customer service programs. Mm. That has a kind of a connotation, doesn't it? Customer services. Mm. You know, if you go back a generation, that was a certain type of department in the business. But has customer service changed as a function from sort of being, you know, like dealing with complaints to what it is now? How has that evolved? Mm, it's a it's a good question. It depends really who you ask and what happens when you need to speak to your company and you ring that number and it really depends on who you go to. Do you go to are you you know if you're um, oh I won't name them but I, I had to fly with a a very big Australian airline <laughs> and uh, that narrows it down, folks. Yes, that narrows it down. <laughs> so uh, they've cracked the code. Um, and yeah, you, you've got something to change and you end up being on a, on a call and then you're pushed through to this um, team of, of a big bunch of people who are, who are there to, to help out with your request. And that's very much seen as the customer service. Mm. But we're also seeing, as I mentioned before, 
customer success, you know, people being appointed within a particular business to really be that person to take you from, okay, you've just made a purchase through to, we're going to actually help you achieve the main problems of why you've made this purchase. Mm. So um, whether mostly in the sort of service-based industries of, you know, if you've signed up and you need, you know, performance marketing, um, having a customer success manager is a great way to be able to then um, help you achieve those goals, help help you uh, get the the most out of your investment with that company. Mm. So, mm. um, So kind of two different, different ways of approach, but, you know, Businesses can be be very different on whether it's customer success, customer service, um, but really it should be anybody who is in that um, post-purchase side really needs to be doing a couple of things. They need to be making sure that customers are getting what they paid for, getting yeah. the best experience with the brand, getting the most out of the product or service, and essentially, yeah, any issues that they have are easily resolvable. And five, being able to actually have such a good experience that they share and refer the business to to other people. In that experience that you had with that Australian airline, <laughs> what were you doing? Were you trying to change something or what what was your your request at that time? Uh, so I don't know how much detail I should go into, but essentially my uh, my wife had actually had COVID about 10 days prior to us flying and, and still mm. tested positive during with our 24-hour rat test. Uh, so we had to just change the flight. So, you know, 24 hours until our flight, we're, um, as you can tell from my accent, Northern Irish, we're in the middle of Northern Ireland, trying to get on a flight um, and essentially having to, having to change that. Um, and it took about nine hours of, of being on hold, being on the phone to get Gosh. that changed in it. It only got changed about seven hours until the uh, the flight was actually due to depart. Wow, that's a very negative experience at the time, isn't it? Oh. you you especially at that time, your yeah. heightened tension. You just want somebody to have a bit of empathy, don't you? Like, and Absolutely. just say, but that doesn't. I mean, even though empathy comes naturally to us, you need to create systems for that. Whether it be all right, Ed. I understand this isn't necessarily in my workflow of decisions here with customer journey or dealing with your issue, um, but I'm a human being, you're a human being, I can see what you're trying to do. Let me see if I can fix this for you. So there's yeah. that guy that you want to be on the other end that so rarely is on the other end. Mm. And then also, you know, with business, looking at that ongoing journey that you have as a customer, mm. you know, that okay, this is what you signed up for and we haven't quite achieved that goal, but I'm going to work with you and I really need to understand you. Like, I need to understand what your goals are. And it, it, they're not dissimilar, are they? It's like, I want to really kind of see things from your perspective and like, rather than say, well, you signed up for this product and you're not using it. Well, that's just because the customer's lazy or they're too busy. It's no, maybe they, they don't understand something and I don't see it from their perspective. There's a lot of work, isn't it, from seeing that challenge whether it be i'm stuck in northern ireland you know adverse circumstances or i'm a client customer not using the product or could be using the product so much more effectively we need to think of it from that perspective walk in their shoes a bit and but i guess my follow-up question is who actually gets that right 
who are the brands that you look to and say, okay, we're specifically talking about post-sale experience here. Mm. Could you name some brands? I know you can't name the bad ones. <laughs> We've all experienced the bad ones, right? But who are the really shining lights in this space that you think, wow, those guys really get it right? That's a great question. So essentially, like one of the one of the really the, the main ones and the big case study is is Zappos. Hmm. And Tony, Tony Shea, uh, the former CEO of Zappos, you know, he said by taking most of the money that we would have spent on paid advertising and v- investing it into the customer experience instead, our customers ended up doing the marketing for us. You know, and so that's that is really the the ethos of being able to instead of just putting all the money into to paid advertising and, and flights and, and the, coming back to the flight is is a very good example of this. I've already paid for my ticket. You know, mm. the money's gone. It's left me kind of I'm already a customer, but I haven't actually achieved the goal of getting from you know Belfast City Airport all the way through to Melbourne. That still hasn't happened. So until I've actually achieved that goal, that's actually something that's you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to fly with you if I don't achieve that goal. And so yeah. it's the experience of actually what happens after I pay to do I actually achieve the, the goal. And if it's a really friction-filled experience and a, a, an experience that I never want to do again, well, I'm going to choose to fly with somebody else or I'm going to choose a competitor because eventually, even if I achieve the goal or if I don't actually, if you don't actually end up helping me solve my problems, then I'm actually never going to buy from you again. It's, mm. it's going to go down as a lesson and it's going to go down as like, okay, we don't trust that company. Let's try somebody else next time. And we'll look so at the it. economics of that in a minute because that absolutely yeah. adds up in terms of That's the bottom it. line. Yeah. I really like your way of putting it is that the customer's goal and I guess the company's goal often mm. aren't aligned, are they? That the company's goal may be drive revenue, mm. you know, sell, sell tickets, fill these planes everybody yep that's how we're going to make our money but the customer has this goal of i've got to get from belfast to melbourne yeah and yeah you got my money folks but i haven't moved (laughs) i haven't moved a yard since we last spoke and that's kind of where the friction is isn't it the internal conflict of interest between a company that is focused only on acquisition to a a company that's focused on that long-term nurturing Mm. of their customers and zappos to some degree, like you say, is you know, mm. we're going to take some of the acquisition budget and put it into experience. And that's faith in the long term, which requires a long term vision, isn't it? Because everything for a CEO is next quarter, next quarter, next quarter. Absolutely. But then you need somebody to say, actually, maybe, you know, we might lose on you in the short term because we're investing. That's how investing works, right? Yeah. But in the long term, you're going to pay that back many, many times over. And let's have a look at some of the data. Bain, the consultancy, Bain and company found that a 5% yeah. increase in retention rate led to a rise in profit between 25 and 95%. That's massive. You know, just a small increase in retention. And we're not just talking about retention, are we? We're also talking about maximizing the value out of an existing customer retention obviously is a big part of it like you say with your Mm. airline example here's the one from salesforce i guess the other part of that is 89 percent of consumers are more likely to make another purchase after a positive customer service experience Mm. yeah let's talk about that that we know the data has been out there for some time what Mm. is the gap between knowing 
this an action? Yeah, huge. I, so going back to actually one of the things that you you mentioned just before that was, you know, each quarter it's it's getting sales, it's getting growth, it's getting you know profitability, it's getting sales and revenue through the door is really what we kind of plan to really see from every company quarter to quarter. But when and what we see is whenever sales plateau, whenever sales dry up, the first thing that happens is money's invested back into the sales funnel. We must get more customers. We must get new customers to, to experience our, our, our product and service so that we can keep selling them. And there's so many businesses out there who are now sustaining their business by having to spend on ads. They're, you know, if, if they stop spending on ads, their business wouldn't work. And so mm. it's, it's a case of instead of actually using paid media and marketing to grow the business, we're actually using paid media and marketing to sustain the business, which is incredibly dangerous. So mm. back to the back to your points of 5% growth to, to increase to 25% of 95% of profits. Um, the, the reason why that's so big is because if, like you said in the second statistic, if people are having a positive experience, then they're more likely to buy more. So your one seal goes to at least two. And then what might happen is if that person then has a great experience and an experience so good that they really become an advocate and they start referring new mm. business, then that's, you know, not only is that person bought another bought another product, they've also referred you another customer who's then bought another product, who's going to buy you another product, who's then going to refer you. Another, and it's just the return on investment from one person who's having who just has become so in sync with the brand and loves the brand so much and is just getting such a good experience that they they don't shut up about um how good this this business is just really becomes this this uh overflowing um machine in in mm. terms of new customers who have come through word of mouth but also repeat purchase the advocacy part is really interesting, isn't it? That increasingly that's becoming an important part yeah. of the whole mix because of the economics. I don't yeah. know the exact numbers, but the cost of acquiring a customer today compared to 10 years ago, 20 years ago, mm. we only know it's going up. Yeah. It's getting harder and harder, isn't it? That you yeah. can't just run an ad in the newspaper anymore or even on radio and get customers. The fact is it's extremely competitive. I saw some interesting data talking about airlines is that it would be more cheap, sorry, it'd be cheaper or more cost effective for a fintech company, you know, so maybe they're selling, you know, like robo advisory or maybe they're selling insurance, whatever it is. A fintech company, it would be cheaper for them to acquire an airline than it would be to acquire those customers from scratch because obviously an airline has a lot of customers and a loyalty program, right? Yeah. So for them to acquire, and in many ways, airlines aren't very good at monetizing their existing customers as we've seen, right? Apart from these mm. sort of loyalty programs that they run. So they could acquire the airline, get all the customers, and that would be, I know it's a lot of money, but if they wanted to build up a customer base of let's say 5 million, 10 million, that is a lot of money to spend. Mm. We're actually, that shows how expensive it is to acquire customers now. 
And once you yeah. have those customers, if you can get that customer acquiring people for you for free, mm. not only is that all straight to the bottom line, but also they're highly aligned customers, aren't they? So when people come in referred from friends, they're already educated about what you do. But I would then ask you about, does that actually work? Do people actually say, yeah, you should fly with this airline? And then people say, oh yeah, okay, that's good. Does that actually happen? Or is it a specific type of companies? Because I'm sure people are listening going, well, that's fine, but you know, I'm an airline. It doesn't happen in my world. That's a great question. I would say there's, there's two things a bit like the people who who actually reviews restaurants no one's really reviewing the meal on a three star you know if they've had a, a mediocre experience the the need to actually leave a review is is really low um but if you've had a fantastic experience and you're passionate about food and you're passionate about this this business and you formed a relationship with the business owner you know there's you know going on uh what is it zomato nowadays is you know a high incentive as for if it's been a terrible experience and you you know, essentially want to voice your opinion. And um, that's also a way that to, to leave that review. So people really find that you, you talk about the great experience and the and the the bad experiences. Mm. But there's a thing of it's not just the experience, it's it's talking to people who have the same problems. And this is really where it comes down to of there are some purchases that I've made where the problem has just been so huge. So Actually, I would even say the best $500 I've ever spent was on a sleep consultant. Our toddler, sorry, our baby at the time wasn't sleeping. And we oh. ended up buying a, um, yeah, a two-week phone call with a sleep consultant. Best five One night, full night of sleep. You know, I've never... That's worth a lot more than 500 Exactly. And the amount of... Young, and I find like anytime I'm talking to somebody and, and you know, I ask, oh, how, how old's your baby? If they're starting to say, you know, somewhere between six and nine months, is that great? Well, I'm about to refer you something pretty good. And so, you know, if they say, oh, you know, we're, we're just not sleeping or she's, she's mm-hmm. not napping or he's struggling to sleep, it's like, great. Well, I've got the best $500 that I've ever spent. This is, this is their number. Mm. You know, give them a call. Um, and I'm, I'm just saying this and it was through my work that I did. I, I haven't actually got the company in front of me to to say who it is, but maybe that's something we can put a little link in the brackets there if somebody's really well, it's not an affiliate instantly. as well. That's the um, thing. You're a, you don't have to be an affiliate to do that, right? Exactly. And, you don't and have to be thing, financially incentivized to do it, right? Exactly. And so, and it's it's because my problem, the problem of of no sleep was so severe, and any parent listening to this mm. can really understand of just how terrible it is, and you just. That that pain point was so big that then somebody that you really care about is is sharing their same problem with you mm, mm. that you're then empathizing that I don't want you to go through that that was terrible I don't want you to have that experience and so what what I find is we seem to really share and refer based off do I want the person that I'm talking with to have the same experience mm. and. Um, whether it's to to live with this problem or to have this solution. So um, so if you're a business that really solves a problem for somebody, like all businesses really do to to some extent, it's that's that's where it re- the sharing and referring really comes into. Yeah, there's a natural tendency as well, human beings, to want mm. to help other people, which. Sometimes when we get in the business world, we build these barriers, don't they? Those could be policy manuals or it could be, 
you know, like scripts for talking mm. to people. And yet, if I see somebody suffering, whether that be somebody who's stuck in Belfast trying to get out or yeah. somebody who's not getting any sleep, I want to help that person. And Correct. that could be, this is my job, or I'm just want to help this person that I know, maybe a coworker or whatever. And that's unnatural disposition, isn't it? That we empathize with people and we want to help them. So we have to kind of have these environments and cultures. And I guess this is where it comes down to the where the rubber hits the road, so to speak, is that, yeah. you know, you've got to have systems in place to make that happen. You've got to have these kind of, to make people more human and interact with other people, you've got to kind of also create these automations and workflows. And there has to be a whole lot of data in there, which you don't necessarily see, you know, not data at the front end. Like, oh, I mean, Belfast talking yep. to a bot, you know, or, you know, bots telling me about, sleep problems that that's not going to be it. it's going to be on the other yeah. side as well so let's maybe go into that area which is what do you actually need to build to make that magic happen if you're like what needs to be in place let's do this as let's say like a case study let's say i'm a we're a SaaS platform okay and uh you know we are b2b so we're selling to small businesses, um, you know, we're doing a million in revenue and, uh, you know, we have a high lifetime value with our customers. Um, so, you know, maybe they sign up for a thousand, but you know, the potential lifetime value of these clients is 10 X that, mm. uh, but not everybody, you know, gets to that kind of level. Maybe a lot of them are sort mm. of stuck at 1000. So that's my business. Um, it may be some form of, SaaS service to small businesses. Um, let's understand what do I need in place? Do I just need to kind of train my people up and say, look, okay, I'm going to train you how to handle calls or how to like, send emails, templates, that sort of thing. What needs to happen if you're heading this up in this business or you're the CEO, for example, mm -hmm. where do you start with this process? If the goal of this process, Ed, is how do I get those people from a thousand to a multiple of that? Yeah, great. Well, the, the best thing that you can do is actually look at the, in, the one individual customer. Let's, let's take it down to, okay, one person has, has joined. And this isn't going to be different for every individual, but you're looking for, okay, who's that ideal person for your, your product, for, for, that, for that SaaS platform, if we, we go with that case study. So it's looking at what is the problem that they have? Why have they join the platform? How, why have they signed up? Why, mm. what, what has all your marketing and sales been leading to for, for this person? So anybody who's got a marketing team, anyone who's got a sales team knows that they are solving a, uh, a problem for a customer. And then essentially it's looking okay at, we've now made, made that person purchase. And then essentially, how do we help them achieve their goal that, of solving this problem? And for some people, it's really a case of it's, you know, like a, a fire, you know, for a SaaS platform, for example, it could be like zero where you've got ongoing financial, you know, this is this, I'm using this platform so that I can invoice on time, that I can keep my bookkeeping really clean. And so, you know, so I'm using that to, to continually solve that, solve that problem. And if I didn't have that, those are the problems I would have. Mm. So it's a way of actually being able to, um, create that experience, and you're you know you're creating your your product to 
address those problems, but also make it really, really easy, make it really simple, making it frictionless. So essentially, you've, you've, um, you're helping that customer solve the problem. And if, if for, for a SaaS business, you know, if, if somebody's struggling to, to get that investment and maybe you can, you know, you can look at, okay, well, you know, what are they doing wrong, you know, with, uh, are they using this platform in the long way? Um, you know, we've all got the, you know, with, with SaaS businesses, the data is all there to be able to see and look at ways of how can you actually help that person solve the problem if they're not going through the, the right things, if they haven't quite understood how this works, or if they haven't quite understood the platform. And, and that could be ways of, you know, just getting one of your team to, to give the customer a call and be like, hey, you know, you've, you've got 30 minutes with me. How can, how can I help you get the most out of your platform? How can I, um, or it could be, you know, training sessions. It could be all kinds of different things, but it's essentially looking at how can you help the customer solve their problem? Mm. And the better that you can solve the problem and the, the faster that you can do it and the, the less friction there is, the better, but also that connectiveness with the customer. How, like, are you actually, are they just a, you know, like we said, a, a, a digit within your CRM or are they somebody that you want to build a relationship with? Let's take a SaaS platform of, a uh, financial SaaS platform, for example, is just that are you, you know, we're helping them solve their, you know, their invoicing and their accounting and their bookkeeping. But what are some of the other things that they mm. also are going through as a business owner? What are some of these other things? Are they, you know, things that could be completely unrelated to what you do, that what you provide, that you can still add value to in other ways? Um, so, and essentially, as the business grows, they're going to need more things. As the business um, does particular particular things, they're going to need new features. So it's continually innovating and making sure that you're actually giving a a great experience for that for that person who then essentially is is locked in, loves your 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 product or service, and then essentially is you know really then the more value you can give to that person the more that they're going to be able to say whenever there's another business owner who's struggling with their financial bookkeeping and needs but hey this is this is the, the the platform that I've been using this is this is what I've been using um, mm. to to help solve x y and z would that then be a program internally or would we I'm thinking from the CEO's perspective, would we then, for example, train our people or do I need a dashboard to identify this? Because doing it ad hoc is fine, but you need to have a process, don't you? You need to have the data that says, right, you know, of these hundred customers, these seven here hmm. need attention now. Let, let's give them attention before they come hmm. to us with problems, right? Because of these data points, which are kind of preempting, if you like, potential yep. problems or they're like vital signs of the customer, aren't they? Yeah. Maybe this customer hasn't used the platform for three months. Whatever it may be. Yeah. Where, where does all that come in? Like as if I'm leading this project internally, where do I stick this thing? Is it into our CRM system? Do we have to build something else? That may be a stopping point for me, trying to work out where it fits in. Yeah, great. Well, like in, in terms of like a SaaS platform, or, you know, being able to, to sync that up to something like Segment and then pushing that into, into your, your HubSpot or Salesforce CRM. That's something that I do a lot with my clients is, you know, we're a HubSpot partner here. Um, so we're always looking to essentially 
put whatever post-purchase data is being used from a particular platform into HubSpot so that, like you said, we can analyze, okay, well, this particular group of customers is, we're anticipating that, you know, they're going to drop off and stop paying for this, this subscription because they're not using it. So what can we do to actually re-engage them? What can we do to actually give them value? Maybe it is a phone call. Maybe it is, um, and it's understanding more about their needs um, to essentially then um, bring them back on and, and deliver them a great, a great service. So mm. a lot of it is being able to be preemptive, you know, understanding the customer's uh, customer journey, understanding the, the pain points, understanding the emotions that a customer has after they've made a purchase um, all the way through to, okay, what does actually solving their problem look like? What does, at what point do they feel that they've got control of the, this problem that your sales team has spent so much time um, investing in to, to the point where they can really have that problem solved? Their life looks different and essentially then it's a, a way of what can you do to then um, perhaps incentivize with regards to um, uh, sharing and referring that business. Hmm. Yeah, something we talked about before we were chatting around, something I learned about buyer's remorse. Hmm. When people buy, there's, I guess that there's probably some psychology behind it as well. They're like, oh dear, was that the right decision? Yeah. And that sort of onboarding period post-sale, hmm. probably a lot is set in that period, isn't it? I mean, there must be some sort, there been some interesting research that there's like a sweet spot. You know, there's like a period of two weeks or whatever it may be, like straight after the sale where, you know, these things need to be done. Hmm. And if they're not done, it makes it quite hard to get things back on track. Not impossible, but harder. You've set expectations. Yeah. You know, if you're then contacting me eight months later or a month before renewal, it's like, why do you want to speak to me now? Like, where were yeah. you for the last yeah. eight months? There must be That's some it. sort of interesting window. I'd be curious to know your thoughts on that if it actually exists, like from your experience. Huge. So, at buyer's remorse is one of those things. Every purchase anyone has ever made has some level of buyer's remorse, whether we notice it consciously or subconsciously. There is some level there, and usually, the the bigger the pain point, so the the more pressing the need and potentially the higher the cost. Hmm. That's going to trigger more of a conscious buyer's remorse. Will this help me? So if you are buying a, you know, let's say a, a Sentinel in um, leather jacket, which is $4,000 and you, you know, you're buying it from somebody on eBay, uh, you know, you don't know until that arrives if this is going to be the real deal. So there's that, oh gosh, like, hmm. what am I doing? You know, is this the right call? And so with, with businesses, it's, it's that case of, you know, we might, you know, sorry, through the sales process, there's what we want to do is eliminate the risk, you know, take away the risk. So that's why e-commerce have things like free returns. You know, if you got a 30-day return period, you're getting this completely mm. risk-free, free trials. You know, you're able to trial this out. Um, and so we've got a lot of sales incentives to eliminate the risk and that really mitigates the buyer's remorse so that you're able to start um, dealing with a company but your investment isn't gone if in within that those first 30 days that you're you're not happy with it but 
what often we feel like is especially in the, the b2b space where we're you know we've we've gone through the, the marketing funnel we've been to dealing with a sales rep and then finally we sign a contract and then this this sales rep that i've been dealing with has you know he's taken taken their, <laughs> their taken their commission and um, on onto the next sale and then i'm kind of in no man's land I'm, yeah. I'm a little bit lost and then i'm, I'm talking with you know uh the kind of the next person there's clearly not been a discussion of any value between the two of them so i'm starting to have to repeat myself so buyer's remorse could really look at like oh gosh have i made a really bad decision mm. here um and you can definitely win it back for sure like if, if so you know i think what we you know sometimes we think of buyer's remorse of that you know, oh, if, if that first impression is gone, it's it's all over. And it's like, it's not, but it's mm-hmm. you may as well make that first impression fantastic. And then they're all in and they're happier to invest more, much quicker. Um, and so, yeah, so that's really the, the element of buyer's remorse. When I was actually researching buyer's remorse of, you know, how different ways companies can can help with that, it's it's funny because you find actually a lot of it is put on to the the. Uh, onto ourselves as the purchaser it's just like how do you eliminate buyers remorse it's like you know do your research before you buy don't you know don't buy above what you can't afford you know and and all these things rather than actually hey if if uh, whenever somebody makes a purchase send them a testimonial and a case study of somebody who had the exact same problem and essentially, as soon as they've, you know, the money's left their account, they're also saying, okay, other people have gone through this yeah. and come out on the other end. Great. I hope I'm one of them. And I believe I'm one of them. And it's starting to 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 put that in. So um, but yeah, so buyer's remorse is is something that's very real in, in companies. Um, there's a lot that we can do to to mitigate it and create a better experience for our customers. To have a process, I think that's the main thing, isn't it? That because doing that at scale is hard. It's easy to do, you know. You just said one, two, three. Maybe you knew all your clients very personally, yeah. but at, at scale, it starts to become harder, doesn't it? Because mm. they need, you know, okay, okay. This person signed up. Need to send them this email, automate it potentially, yeah. Or you know, even that onboarding call within three days, having yep. a process, whatever it may be, but just kind of taking all the decision-making out Absolutely. of your head. Because I think when it becomes like a workflow, exactly. it's kind of smooth, and it, right? Exactly. And, it, and you know, something we do with, with all of our customers is you know, we, we workshop this. We look at, okay, well, as soon as somebody makes a purchase with you, hmm. you know, what are the emotions that they have? Are they, are they really excited or are they like, gosh, I really hope this pays off? You know, anyone who is... Um, spend any money on paid ads or marketing that first time you do it you're like gosh i hope this isn't you know it would have been faster just to flush it down the toilet you know and, and sometimes that's the the emotions that we that we have and so it's understanding what are your customers emotions at, the, at that first part and like you said it's you know is it a an automatic email is it okay somebody's bought something let's you know take a group photo and send it to them and you know Give them a big congratulations with an email that has this, you know, flashy emoji to to incentive to really um, not incentivize to, you know, trigger this really positive emotion. It's yeah, it really is is looking at okay, what are the different stages that our customers are about to go through, and what are the emotions, what are their needs, and what are the emotions that they're feeling at that time, and how and if we know their emotions, how can we how can we uh, 
combat that? How can we, mm. we change those, change those, uh, put those firms upside down, as they used to say? Yeah, yeah. And it's not just a negative, is it? it it's sort of, you know, it, it, you know, somehow highlighting the positive emotions as well. Mm. Like you say, just creating that positive experience in the early days. Um, you know, people are naturally suspicious yeah. of anything. And, you know, for good reason, there's a lot of competition. We also live in a world now where you aren't locked in to arrangements like you used to be in, in sort yeah. of the freewheeling B2B space. Mm. Very rarely are you locked into 12-month deals like with your phone bill or, mm. you know, maybe with a rental contract. You know, you can get out of things like month in, yeah. month out. If, so that creates the reality now that people are always asking questions and they always have these options to get out. So yeah. that places the emphasis on us as the providers to work extra hard and not to assume that, oh, they signed up. Oh, that's great next customer because exactly that that one customer may be out next month because you didn't talk to them or yep. you know your sales rep left them standing dry and then you know the the service rep you know didn't have any notes or all those kind of things which are small touches right but that's where the big picture is made isn't it? in the small touches and good process good understanding good empathy yep. good data good workflows all of that yep. i mean I, that's obviously where you come in and help companies put in a structure to that. And it's not rocket science, is it? It's not like, okay, you have to invest in this platform now. If you want to improve customer lifetime value, you have to spend all this money on this new tech platform. There are tools out there. I mean, HubSpot, 100%. great example, not expensive, you know, Salesforce, et cetera. So exactly it's nothing new, that. is it? No, and, and even, you know, and it, it can really be something of, what you know what have, what small little thing can you do you know so it could be you know with, with some of our, our my clients particularly where yeah they they do use hubspot and we do this customer journey and then we implement different workflows out to you know in different emails and different um you know different systems like send things out to customers and, and prompts to call customers at certain points but you know, if you're if you're looking to just get started, it's just like okay, well, when somebody makes a purchase, how can you make that email just so about them and understanding? Okay, if somebody was to if I was to purchase my own product, what would I want to know? Mm. You know, um, and you know, or it's at some point during um, if it's a if it's a, a longer cycle between somebody achieving sorry having the problem to achieving their goal what's something that you can send them at maybe like the halfway point you know maybe a month in that really just will lift their spirits and it can be something you know um i sometimes send my clients uber eats vouchers just if i know that they've had a big week you know just little things like that mm. um to rebuild emotion to just say hey you know i'm we're working on this, you know, it's, it's a process and we're here for you. Um, mm. And so looking at everything that you do with a customer and how can we make it more about the customer rather than help more about our own internal processes. Excellent. Ed Prime, everybody from Exemplify. Thank you. There's a lot of content out there today. I know you've got the workshops and the online um, content as well. Where's the best jumping off point? to start with you if I want to learn more about this? 
Great. So I actually have a three-step video on my website. So if you if you go to go to my website, you'll see uh, in the resources there's a seven steps to customer longevity. Three videos. They're about five six minutes each, and that basically will will take you through a seven-step guide to how you can turn your brand new customers from into into returning up into referral advocates. Excellent. What a good place to start. Exemplify.com.au. We'll put all, yep. all the details in the show notes. And I'm sure also if you need help getting a little one to sleep as well, Ed will be happy to refer on to you. Um, we can also find you on LinkedIn, Ed Frame, Exemplify. So please ping Ed if you've heard this podcast and you would like to chat some more. I guess people are going to have a lot of questions, aren't they, about this? Because it's like, where do I start? What do I do here? How do I do this? It's not just a simple binary decision to you know do this thing because it can touch many different aspects of the business isn't it like how do you maximize existing customer lifetime value how do you improve customer experience how do you improve retention it can touch many many different departments as well mm. so thanks a lot today Ed. really insightful really interesting thought-provoking as well for anybody out there who is interested in the whole space of customer lifetime value, customer advocacy, fans, customer experience, and any of the above as well. So Ed, thanks a lot today. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the XL podcast with me, Graham Brown. To subscribe and discover more conversations, go to www.xlpodcast.org.